Well, hello. This is the widescreen podcast, show number 301. Why am I talking like this? I have no idea. It's just a thing. I figure we will start off this new set of a hundred podcasts with something just light and and easy and you know with 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 happy little trees and i i don't know i don't know i don't try to since when do i make sense you're expecting too much of an old fart like me so anyway this is the big bad burger meister meister burger for those of you who still put up with me thank you so much for being here i do greatly appreciate it for the few of you who are regular listeners, thank you for coming back. For those of you who might be new, I, I doubt I have new listeners, but you never know. Honestly, I have not checked the statistics for this podcast in years. Years I haven't checked. I have no idea how many listeners I have. I have no idea how many downloads I have. I, I don't know, and I don't care. I'm not looking to monetize this podcast. I'm losing money with every episode. I just do it because I've been doing it, and I mean, I would like to be able to do it more often, but boy, do I have a heavy plate. I have a heavy plate, and I've got, it's full. This plate is always full. My wife is constantly yelling at me because I complain about having too much to do, and I keep adding more onto it. Is that an ADHD thing? I mean, maybe. Whatever. But there's really nothing new going on. It's the same stuff, different day. When when you reach my age, there, Shunny, you know it. it it's we just we're just getting kind of old. And speaking of which, I did have my birthday since the last podcast, so I'm 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 a, I'm a year closer to death. But otherwise, it's uh same old, same old. Hope you all are doing okay. I'm assuming that a lot of you are getting ready for the big game. Of course, by the time this podcast is out, the game will probably be finished. Well, whatever. Hope you have a good time or had a good time with it. I couldn't. I'll be gaming or streaming or prop making, whatever. But I'm sure there will be several new movie spots and so forth. So I'll cover that. Well, if this podcast is not finished before then, I will tack those in near the end. Otherwise, I'll talk about them next time around. But let's start this show off like I normally do. Streaming information is first. Netflix, I've been talking a lot about this, and they're starting their crackdown on shared accounts. At this moment, they have started an account crackdown in four new markets, Canada, New Zealand, Portugal, and Spain. And as part of this rollout, primary account holders will be required to set the location of their household, which is defined as people who live in the same location as the primary subscriber. So each member of the household will still be able to use the Netflix accounts while traveling, and the company will not be requiring a verification code for members accessing their accounts from outside of their primary location. But they have said that they're going to determine if a user is not part of the household based on information like whether a device has used the Wi-Fi information from the primary location at least once a month, which I've already seen a couple of people on Twitter blowing back on that one, especially in some of the Nordic countries, because apparently it's quite common over there for people to have summer homes, and they'll be there for months at a time. That right there is going to cause problems for this new idiotic Netflix plan of, well, you have to check in at your home base once every month. So when this stupidity triggers in, those users will be prompted to create their own Netflix accounts or have the primary account holder add them to the subscription for an additional price. Users in the four regions impacted uh, will be able to add up to two people outside of their households for an extra Canadian $8 per month per person, uh, New Zealand $8, uh, 4 euros in Portugal, and 6 euros in Spain. Again, that is per person. Netflix has not yet rolled out paid sharing in the U.S., but is expected to do so in the weeks, uh, coming weeks or months. And again, the only reason why I say this is idiotic is because if what those people have said, and you have to have a connection at the home base, what if you are somebody who travels? What if you're someone who doesn't have a home base? You have an RV, and you're traveling around the country all the time. You might as well get rid of your Netflix account. Well, I mean, maybe not. I guess it depends on how you're getting your internet service. If it's through a, a mobile company, then you might not need to. I, I don't know. I don't know. And I get why they're doing this. I mean, bandwidth is expensive. 
And there's the principle of everybody who is using it should be paying for it. I get it. I get it. I'm not unsympathetic to that. But it still seems like they're going to lose more subscribers than they're going to gain from this. And the whole thing about having to log in once a month from a base location sounds like that's going to be very problematic. Now that said, are they open to a free ad-supported tier? Apparently they are open to the idea. Apparently on their Q4 earnings call, new co-CEO Greg Peters said that, uh, well, he actually he passed it on to Ted Sarandos, who said, we are open to all different kinds of models that are out there right now. We're keeping, our, we're keeping an eye on that segment for sure. But anything that might be a free ad-supported tier is, it's on their back burner. They said that we've got a lot on our plate this year, both with the paid sharing and with our launch of advertising. So, in other words, they plan on dealing with that before they ever plan on touching a free ad-supported tier. But, I don't know, depending on how aggressive they push this whole idea, people might be pulling their pirate hats out of their closets. But, in a related article... Uh, you know that I, well, anybody who's listened to this podcast for a while knows that I am a huge fan of Plex. I have a Plex server running here at home. Every single disc that I own is, is, well, I've ripped it and I've put it out to my Plex server. So I've still got the disc, but now I can also stream it from anywhere, whether on my phone or a tablet or here at home or away, whatever. Anything that's on my Plex server, I can now view anywhere, everywhere. But over the years, Plex has been pushing into the streaming service as, as a, I don't want to say as opposed to the server side. They still are pushing the server side. But over the past few years, they've been going into free streaming. And even now, when I go, uh, you know, I do my initial login onto the app, it doesn't show my server. It shows their streaming services, and I have to manually go into my server to pick what I want to see. Well, apparently this idea has been paying off as that side of the business, the streaming side, now has more users than the server software. So they said that they now have 16 million monthly active users, and customers using the media server features have been overtaken by customers using their online streaming capabilities. They said there's more folks who are using our ad-supported content now than there are on the server-supported. So they're also currently in talks with TV makers to load the Plex app onto their TV sets, and it plans to build out other things, uh, new social features, to help people see what their friends are watching. I mean, I get it, but at the same time, that's potentially creepy. And... Just like Roku has new TVs coming out, do not be surprised if there are Plex TVs coming out. Apparently, the company has been approached by several vendors about using Plex as their default smart TV interface. So, they say that they're coming from smaller TV manufacturers, not the big boys. And right now, it's unclear how they're going to do it. Chances are it's going to be Google's Android TV, but Plex is going to be the default app or home screen, however you want to look at it. I mean, it is possible. I mean, sure, they could take Linux and make their own Plex operating system, you know, kind of what TiVo is doing, but who knows what route they're going to take. So don't be surprised if you suddenly hear me announce in a future podcast, hey, there are new Plex TVs coming out from such and such really small TV vendor. And finally, if you have an Amazon Prime subscription, you know, honestly... I might be canceling mine because now they're pushing it from $120 a year to $140 a year. It's like, guys, come on. I don't watch your stuff. My main purposes for it are, well, I mean, they give you the the free Twitch Prime subs. So that right there is worth $60. And for the quick shipping, but I've been starting to buy stuff from alternate places. I have been starting to use Amazon Music rather than, you know, pay money to Spotify and that idiot Joe Rogan. But, I mean, $140 now, it's like, uh, I'm kind of having trouble justifying that one. We'll see what happens. Of course, of course, the day after I tell my wife, you know, Amazon's pushing the price up again, so I might end up canceling this. She receives two packages from Amazon. Okay, timing. But anyway, if you have an Amazon Prime account, 
and you've been hoping to watch all of the, for example, James Bond movies, well, you're not going to be able to because when Amazon bought, a, bought, bought, bought my, my from Boston, when Amazon bought out MGM, that included the Epic streaming platform. Well, Amazon now has renamed that to MGM Plus, and if you want to watch your James Bond movies, you're going to have to subscribe to MGM Plus. Although, apparently, it's not even complete. Supposedly, the Sean Connery-era Bond epics do not appear to be available on MGM+. And Paramount+, Plus apparently, appears to have a similar amount of Bond films available. Plus, on top of that, if you are more of a cinephile, Netflix and Apple TV+, Plus have things like 4K uh, HDR, Dolby Atmos, and so forth. But you won't find any of those available for the Bond movies, even though there are other movies that have Ultra HD streaming in MGM Plus's library. So for whatever reason, not only are you going to have to now have an MGM Plus subscription if you're a Bond fan, you're not going to get basically the, the best kind of streaming of those movies that you would otherwise expect to get. So on to the box office and in news that should shock no one, Avatar The Way of Water has surpassed Titanic at the international box office, at least in the overseas market. In total, Cume, it's still barely trailing behind, but it's going to surpass it. Titanic internationally has made $1.5 billion with a total of $2.194 billion worldwide. However, Avatar The Way of the Water, Way of Water, has surpassed it a little bit at $1.539 billion internationally, but it's still trailing behind at a meager $2.177 billion. So now internationally, it's made $4 million more, but total, it's still trailing by $17 million. Oh, what is James Cameron to do? But here's something that I found very interesting. According to the statistics, Avatar The Way of Water has made over $1 billion from 3D screenings alone. Now, granted, that's the way that James Cameron wanted it to be seen. That's the way it was filmed in native 3D. So according to this, 61% of all tickets sold worldwide so far have been 3D screenings. Uh, and overall box office has remained consistent in that from its opening weekend. In the U.S. and Canada, 3D has 58% of the film's share, or should I say a 58% share of the film's gross, while internationally outside of China, 3D has a 54% share. Now, here's the crazy part. Within China, so far, 99% of the film's revenue has come from 3D sales. So the question is, will this, will this result in a resurgence of 3D at the box office? Who knows? The upcoming Super Mario Brothers movie, uh, The Little Mermaid remake, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 are all going to be shown theatrically in 3D, uh, as well as the upcoming Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. We'll just have to see. Regrettably, 3D in the home is not going to become a thing until... If, if it ever happens, we get glasses-free 3D TV, which, which Dolby is working on, supposedly. Working, they're supposed to be working on that with James Cameron. So who knows? We'll see what happens. We'll see. I mean, longtime listeners know my analysis of why 3D failed. And it had nothing to do with consumer lack of interest. Or if it did, it's because the studios, the TV manufacturers, and the theaters screwed it up so badly that their stupidity resulted in consumer lack of interest. Oh, well, we, we shall simply have to wait and see. In other news, push, put it in a puss in boots. The Last Wish is rapidly approaching $375 million globally. So that is a success, having uh, been made with a $90 million budget. It might break $400 million globally. I mean, it's been out since since December 7th, so it's been out for two months already. Oh, and as long as we're talking about theater going here, AMC has... Uh, <sighs> this is not what I was referring to when I talked about tiered pricing for movies. AMC has decided that after 4 p.m., 
you're going to pay different prices for different seating areas. So all this is going to be based on your seat's location in the auditorium. So uh, basically seats will be broken up into value, standard, and preferred sightline locations. Standard sightlines will be the most common and available at what they're calling the traditional cost. You will pay less for value sightlines, which means really crappy seating areas. Uh, and obviously the premium ones, the preferred sightlines, you're going to pay more. So the way it says that patrons will pay less for front row seats. Okay, well, you know what? In fairness, if you're sitting in the front row, I've done that before. That is an awful, awful place to sit and watch a movie. But front row will be the value sightline tickets. I'm assuming front rows. Because even if you only sit, if you just sit in that front section really close to the screen, that's still not an optimal viewing experience. So I hope it's more than just the front row. Preferred sightline seats will typically be in the middle of the auditorium and cost slightly more than standard sightline seats. So apparently they've already been doing this in several markets, but now they're going to be rolling it out nationwide. But of course, there are some exceptions. Those of you who are members of the AMC Stubbs A-List program, which of course is a subscription, are not going to be subject to this. So this is probably a way to drive people to their subscription model. And theaters in mostly smaller markets where there is no reserved seating, will also be exempt from this. And of course, if you go and watch a matinee, so you watch a movie before 4 o'clock, they're not going to apply it there either. One thing that came out very quickly after that is that uh, actor Elijah Wood is not a fan of this, saying the movie theater is and always has been a sacred democratic space for all, and this new initiative by AMC theaters would essentially penalize people for lower income and reward for higher income. And stuff like this is one of the main reasons why I usually stick with matinees. So anyway, do you think this is a good thing? This is a bad thing? Let me know. Podcast at widescreen.org. So far, this one is strictly in the rumor category, but apparently there is going to be an I Know What You Did Last Summer sequel, and it seems to be almost ready to go. Supposedly, Jennifer Caton Robinson has been tapped to direct. Jennifer Love Hewitt and Freddie Prinze Jr. are in talks to reprise their roles. And producer Neil Moritz is on board to return as the producer. So the original movie was a huge hit back in, what was that, 1997, I believe. Had a $17 million budget and came back with $125 million worldwide. Did have a sequel, but the sequel was actually a box office flop because it had a budget of $65 million. How do you do that? <laughs> You go from the original movie with a budget of 17 and then the sequel balloons to $65 million, uh, but that was a flop because it only made $40 million at the at the uh, global box office. But possibly even more notably, the original also launched the careers of Jennifer Love Hewitt, Freddie Prinze, Sarah Michelle, Sarah Michelle Gellar, and, uh, and others. So, I mean, the first movie was popular for a lot of reasons. But this one, plot details are still completely unknown, because again, this is in the rumor category. But then again, the way things go with sequels, I mean, is anybody really surprised that they're coming back to that franchise? Oh, hey, and speaking of sequels! Yeah, I know, imagine that. Paramount has set the sequel to Gladiator for November 22nd, 2024. Oscar-nominated Paul Mescal is in talks to be in the film, uh, but he will not be replacing Russell Crowe's Maximus from the first film, because if you've seen the movie, you know why. He's playing Lucius, the son of Lucilla, who is now a grown man, and the story takes place years after the first film ended. And also, more sequels. What, what would this show be without a list of sequels? Because that's all Hollywood seems to do anymore. Honestly, as long as there are no more Star Wars original trilogy sequels, I'll be happy. Anyway, there are absolutely no details given whatsoever, except that Disney CEO Bob Iger has said that there are sequels in the works for Frozen, Zootopia, which that one I can see, and yet another Toy Story movie. None of this really is surprising because each of those, Frozen, Frozen 2, Toy Story 4, and Zootopia, all made over, a, each made over a billion dollars at the global box office. Meanwhile, some of their original properties, like Strange World, completely tanked. I mean, no one knows for sure what the production costs for Strange World were. They're estimated between $130 and $180 million, and it made $73 million at the box office. So that's 
Yeah, it, it it makes sense why Disney's going back to the sequels. And even Encanto. Encanto, now, I mean, people really know it because it was a big hit on Disney+. Plus. That did not break even at the box office either, even though it made $250 million. It's estimated that the production cost for that was uh, $150 million, so that's considered to be a failure at the box office too. So I guess it's no surprise that Disney is sticking with what works for them. And that would be sequels! And as long as we're talking about sequels, I might as well get the rest of the lot out of the way here. Keanu Reeves, bleh, Keanu Reeves has been working for many years to get another Constantine sequel out there. And yes, I'm pronouncing it Constantine because apparently that's the pronunciation that Alan Moore had in mind when he created the character. You know, and it's for the exact same reasons why I say GIF instead of GIF. <clears throat> now, as for when this is going to happen, no one knows yet. Uh, James Gunn and Peter Safran have not said anything specifically, but a spokesperson for Warner Brothers confirmed that Constantine 2 is not scrapped. So what's going to happen is that Shazam, uh, The Flash, and Aquaman are still coming to theaters, and they're going to be followed by what Gunn and Safran call Chapter 1, Gods and Monsters, which is, you know, that's the DC version of what Marvel calls Phase 1, Phase 2, Phase 3. But the new DC slate is going to start with uh, Creature Commandos, uh, the Batman-based The Brave and the Bold. Then there are going to be a couple of TV shows mixed in there. So yeah, you can start that whole MCU confusion of that movie's not going to make a lot of sense unless you watch that TV series, which, uh, great. Yeah, thanks. But it is unclear where the new Constantine movie is going to fit in with all of that. So another sequel that has had a long push on behind it is Tron 3. Apparently it is moving forward at Disney. Jared Leto has been championing this project since 2017. So he said, uh, according to this, he's going to star in the feature with Disney collaborator Joaquin Ronning in talks to direct. So they don't have a director just yet. This film is going to be titled Tron Ares and is obviously going to be a follow-up to 2010's Tron Legacy. So way back when, that movie only made about $400 million, which was not enough to get a direct sequel that they really wanted. And there were plans to have a third Tron movie, but those got scrapped back in 2015. And ever since then, multiple people have been trying to work on it and so forth. Well, Jared Leto has been pushing this and pushing this and pushing this for the past five years. And it looks like it's finally got enough push to it that it's going to be made. And of course, one sequel announcement that will surprise nobody is that Megan is getting a sequel for 2025. So Megan came out January 6th. It was a huge hit. It only cost $12 million to produce, but so far has made $161 million at the box office and has garnered a lot of positive reviews, even for the fact that it's PG-13. So it's going to be titled, typical, Megan 2.0. I mean, you know, it's all about a robot. Or I guess... I guess Android might be a more appropriate uh, statement there, but regardless. So Megan 2.0, it's being written by Alka Cooper, who wrote the original, and they've even given a release date of January 17th, 2025. So Gerard Johnstone, who directed the first movie, is not yet slated to return, but you know that the producers are going to be negotiating with him to bring him back. But according to this, actors Allison Williams and Violet McGraw are already on board to return. So this one hasn't gotten a lot of attention lately, and, I mean, it's it's boring stuff. But I've talked before about how Cineworld, which is the owner of Regal, which is the number two chain in North America for theaters, uh, they're still undergoing Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Oh, chapter 11 simply means debt restructuring. Chapter 7 is the one that you want to have a red flag, because Chapter 7 means they're going away. But this is Chapter 11, they're renegotiating debt, coming up with new plans to restructure and so forth. It's still ongoing. But it is possible that they could be put up for sale. That is always going to be an option in things like this. Uh, I Honestly, I hope they don't go away because that would suck to have AMC as the number one chain in North America by a wide margin. But, I mean, in AMC's favor, I'll, I'll admit, they've done a lot of things during the whole pandemic that have allowed them to survive. They show, well, at least the one near me anyway, shows a lot of indie films. We have a relatively large size Indian population here, so they show a lot of Bollywood films. And man, I've been to the theater when those Bollywood films are in progress. They do really good business. I mean, if you want, you could even buy AMC's popcorn and have it picked up or delivered for, for, you, to, for, for you to eat at home. So anyway, competition is good. I really hope that Cineworld comes out of this. And that Regal stays, maybe expands. Who knows? Who knows? 
But I mean, it would be helpful and kind of cool if theaters would expand out to more things. Uh, my wife and I saw George Takei's Allegiance, his Broadway show. We saw it in a local theater. We saw it at our local AMC. It was showing. We decided, yeah, let's go see it. So why not do that? Start to bring, um, obviously there would be licensing issues, clearly. Bring Broadway plays to the theater screen. Or, or do something like what Metallica is doing. Here's a segue for you. So Metallica is coming forth with its 12th studio album called 72 Seasons. And they are releasing it in movie theaters worldwide for one night. You might be thinking, wait a minute, you're, they're releasing an album in movie theaters? Well, yeah. But what they've done is they've filmed music videos for each of the 12 songs on the album, uh, recorded exclusive commentary for the album, and Metallica fans will be able to watch all of the videos, so basically hear the album, uh, uh, for one night, April 13th. And uh, so yeah, you get, they get to see a cinematic version of the album played in its entirety. So the band promises that it will be an unforgettable night, and April 14th is the day before the album is actually released. And I mean, that's, that's a cool idea. Honestly, I wish more bands would do stuff like this, you know, have their, have their tour going on, but then allow the, you know, video of their tour to be shown in theaters, either afterward or, or, you know, nearby or whatever. I mean, I live near Philly, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, but they're still a good hour and a half to two hours away. If I could have the option of seeing a concert in my favorite bands just locally at my AMC theater, I'd do it. Would it be the same? No, but, you know, still better than not seeing the concert at all. Get to talk video games for a little bit here. Well, kind of, sort of. Amazon is now taking on a role as games publisher, and one of the titles that they will be publishing next is the next Tomb Raider game. So, I mean, th that part is, is true, but this one is in the rumor category. Apparently, there is a Tomb Raider movie in the works. And the idea is to have a big interconnection going on between the upcoming video game, the TV series, which has also been announced, and this particular movie. So apparently one source, again, rumor, take it as, with a grain of salt, says that uh, it is among the largest commitments at Amazon after Lord of the Rings. Now keep in mind, Amazon has spent $250 million just on the rights to the Lord of the Rings. Of course, reps for Amazon have declined to comment, hence why this is in the rumor category. So yeah, I mean, the video game deal was announced back in December. The TV series was officially announced a little while ago as well. It's not really surprising that there might be a movie in the works. And the fact that Amazon is warming up toward having theatrical releases of their original movies, that's also a good sign as well. So we might see a Tomb Raider movie actually in the box office soon. Of course, I will let you know because that's what I do. It's been around forever. Hidden. In the dark. It's like all those spooky monsters you think are hiding under your bed. It's not real. It's the thing that comes for your kids when you're not paying attention. That's a big nope from me because you know I don't like horror if you've been listening to this stream for any length of time. But Stephen King fans, I'm sure will be thrilled to know that the adaptation of The Boogeyman is going to be coming out on June 2nd. That is the first official trailer to it. You can have it. And uh, yeah, link in the show notes. But if you want another plot line, high school, <clears throat> high school student Sadie Harper and her younger sister Sawyer are reeling from the recent death of their mother and aren't getting much support from their father, a therapist who is dealing with his own pain. When a desperate patient unexpectedly shows up at their home seeking help, he leaves behind a terrifying supernatural entity that preys on families and feeds on the suffering of its victims and boy you can have that oh and speaking of stephen king since we're right there the remake of children of the corn has been picked up by amc's horror streaming service shutter but it is going to have a theatrical window so starting march 3rd you'll be able to see the remake of children of the corn on the big screen 
It's going to have an 18-day theatrical window before it hits on-demand and streaming services on March 21st. So if you're not familiar with Children of the Corn, the plot follows a 12-year-old girl in Nebraska who is possessed by a spirit in a dying cornfield. So this is like opposite of Field of Dreams. This is Field of Screams, I guess. She recruits the other children in her small town to go on a bloody rampage and kill all of the adults and anyone else who who opposes her. A bright high schooler who won't go along with the plan is the town's only hope of survival. Matt Shackman, who was going to direct the next Star Trek movie before that got canned, uh, has now opened up. He is actually going back to direct Fantastic Four for Marvel, and he has confirmed that shooting is going to commence in early 2024 with a current release date of February 14th, 2025. As for why he decided to leave Star Trek, he said that movies have different journeys and momentums and schedules are a little bit mercurial. Okay, so meaning they're very fluid. (laughs) And so when the Fantastic Four opportunity came up, it was just too hard to pass up and go back home to Marvel. And by that, it's because he was the guy who did the uh, WandaVision series. So I know that a lot of people have been waiting for a new Fantastic Four movie ever since that absolutely horrible last one. The, the 2015 reboot was, or is, largely considered to be a huge failure. Director Josh Trank got a lot of bad press on that one. Apparently, he was very uncooperative. He absolutely hated that um, Kate Mara was cast for Sue Storm. He supposedly spent many times in his trailer alone. And it just, it was a mess. Even reshoots were bad because you can tell when Kate Mara was actually wearing a wig for scenes that were filmed during the reshoots. So it was overall a bad experience. Well, hopefully this next one will make up for it. The Academy Awards are taking place on March 12th, and anyone who knows anything about this podcast or has been around for a long time knows that I really don't give a rat's rear end about the Academy Awards. Sorry, I know, it's a movie podcast. you think I'd put more value on them. I don't really care. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I understand that for, for people who win Academy Awards, it means a lot because it's acknowledgement by their peers. I get it. But at the same time, there's a lot of politicking behind the scenes. I've gone through that before. Uh, previous years, I've shown, what do they call it? The, the brutally, honest, uh, brutally honest Oscar ballots, which is when the Hollywood Reporter will go and anonymously talk with people who cast their votes, why they cast their votes, And some of the reasons why people of the Academy cast their votes is absolute BS. I mean, literally, one of them was, oh, well, I didn't vote for Nicole Kidman because her husband, um, uh, uh, Keith Urban, um, you know, he's a country singer. He's got absolutely nothing to do with the movies or the Academies or anything. But this person literally said in this interview that they did not vote for Nicole Kidman because Keith Urban is her husband. What? What? (laughs) What does that have to do with anything? And of course, there have been times where just the winners themselves brought a lot of controversy, like Green Book winning Best Picture in 2019 had a lot of people raising their eyebrows. So yeah, I just, I I don't put much value in the Academy Awards whatsoever. But nonetheless, a lot of people do. And the list of nominees are out, so I'm not going to go over the whole list. That's kind of pointless. But there were some notable things for this Academy Awards. Uh, One thing that a lot of people jumped on immediately is that, once again, there are absolutely no female directors uh, for the best director category. That, I mean, that's a, you can argue that one. The ratio of female directors to male directors is relatively small, so that one can be argued. But, nonetheless, that is traditionally a category that is almost entirely male-dominated, and this year is no exception. But there are some more positive firsts for this year. Uh, Ireland earns their first international feature nomination for The Quiet Girl. So for the international nomination, 92 countries were eligible for this year's Academy Awards in the Best International Feature category. And of course, that list has a lot of countries that have never actually hit the nomination either. But once the short list of the 15 remaining titles was cut down to the five Oscar noms, The Quiet Girl was listed in there, which makes it Ireland's first international feature nomination. So The Quiet Girl focuses on a withdrawn child peeking out of her shell during a summer stay with relatives in rural Ireland. But it's going to have some competition with Germany's All Quiet on the Western Front, which I've heard a lot about, Poland's EO, Belgium's Close, and Argentina's Argentina 1985. 
In another first, Angela Bassett has earned the first Oscar nom in acting for the anyone in the Marvel Universe. So she has earned a Best Supporting Actress nomination for her role as Queet Ramonda. And whereas the you know, various Marvel movies have had other nominations in more technical things like sound design, visuals, that sort of thing, this is the first time that any MCU movie has actually earned a nomination in acting. So this is actually the second career nomination for Bassett, with her first being for her role as Tina Turner back in 1993's What's Love Got to Do With It? So that's kind of cool. I gotta admit, I have yet to see Wakanda forever. I need to correct that. And finally, Michelle Yeoh has made history as being the first Asian Best Actress nominee. This, of course, is for her role in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. And even though she's well known for her supporting roles in movies such as Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Tomorrow Never Dies, Crazy Rich Ages, and so forth, this is her first Oscar nomination. And this is the first time that a woman who identifies as Asian, which makes sense, considering that she was born in Malaysia, but this is the first time that someone who identifies as Asian has been recognized as Best Actress. So she'll, she, she'll be going up against Andrea Riseborough, Kate Blanchett, Michelle Williams, and Anna de Armas, so we'll see how that goes. And hopefully, this year's Oscars will go on without anybody getting slapped in the face. We'll, we'll just have to see what happens. Okay, keeping on, keeping on, keeping on, keeping on. The Madonna biopic. Madonna, yes. Have, oh my god, have you seen Madonna lately? She got some serious plastic surgery, and I kid you not, she is she's completely unrecognizable. She looks like her face got stung by a whole bunch of bees. Oh my god, she's got so much Botox. I, I literally saw a picture of her and was like, who the hell's that? Who? Wait, what? No. And it wasn't until I saw the same photo from a different angle that I was like, oh my god, that's really her? She looks terrible. Anyway, uh, the biopic on Madonna that was to be directed by Madonna herself is no longer in development. The project was first announced in 2020. It was supposed to chronicle her entire career, which of course is like, you know, four decades worth. But according to this, none of the many drafts of the scripts was ever under 180 pages. Oh my god. Uh, that of course led to conversations about splitting the movie into two, or maybe even making it into a miniseries. But nothing has come of that, so they are completely scrapping the project. Which is uh, not necessarily surprising. I mentioned before that Amazon is looking to starting to release their movies theatrically. Uh, I mean, they've, they've done a few of them here and there, but this is the article that really prompted this because they are returning to wide theatrical for Amazon movies instead of just throwing them on streaming with Ben Affleck's Nike movie called Air starring Matt Damon. So Air will actually be getting a global theatrical release on Wednesday, April 5th. And this is the first theatrical release from Amazon since they bought Mindy Kaling's Late Night, which had a wide release back in 2019. So according to this, it will have a longer theatrical window than most of their theatrical releases hitting Prime Video in more than 200 countries after that, though they don't say how long that theatrical window is. I mean, I can't imagine that that's going to be a huge box office hit, but, you know, still, it's nice to see that Amazon isn't pushing all of its titles to its streaming service. I mean, hey, maybe they should consider putting their Lord of the Rings series theatrically. That would probably be way more impressive on the big screen than on a TV screen. Just a thought, just a thought. I probably should have put this one after the Madonna biopic because there is a Michael Jackson biopic in the works. And this is going to be directed by Antoine Fuqua. So Graham King, who is uh, also produced Bohemian Rhapsody, is going to be producing this one. And John Branca and John McClain, who are the co-executors of the Michael Jackson estate, they are also producing. So according to Lionsgate, the film will address all aspects of Jackson's life, although it is unclear how the film will address the many controversies Mm, nice frog. Uh, we'll address the many controversies involving Michael Jackson, given that the film is being made in conjunction with his estate. And they've already cast the role of Michael Jackson. He's going to be played by his nephew, Jafar Jackson. So Jafar is actually the son of Jermaine Jackson, Michael's brother. And apparently, producer Graham King said that, uh, I met Jafar over two years ago and was blown away by the way he organically personifies the spirit and personality of Michael. So, there we go. Uh, the movie is set to begin principal photography sometime this year. 
lot has changed in the last few years. The wizard gave me superpowers. Yeah! And then everybody got superpowers. Started from the bottom, now we're here. All right, here's the situation. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here. The daughters of Atlas are coming to hunt us. Children stole the power of the gods. Yeah! You ripped it from our father's core. Okay, I feel like maybe I should be writing all this down. Give us the powers, child. Your world will not survive this. You want these powers? Come get them! Hey, Khaleesi! Started from the bottom, now we're here. All right. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here. We have one job to do. Save the world. And that is a portion of the latest, probably last, Shazam! Fury of the Gods trailer. That's coming out March 17th. I mean, I guess they they could put one in with the Super Bowl. I can't imagine that they're going to do that, though. But anyway, if you want to see the whole trailer for yourself, show notes. But you knew that. Will Smith and Martin Lawrence are coming back for a fourth Bad Boys movie. Sony has confirmed that the untitled Bad Boys sequel is in early production, and that Adil El Arbi and Bilal Falah are returning to direct. So they formerly did Bad Boys for Life. Uh, they also directed Batgirl, which, of course, we know was famously shelved last year. And, of course, it's in pre-production, so we don't know a damn thing about it. But, of course, whenever I find out any more, I'll let you know. I know that this road has been very hard. And yet here you are, building this magnificent family. What's going on in that head of yours? Something little piece of it. Is it dead? They're not afraid of anything. But I am. I'm afraid of losing someone I love. Dominic Toretto. You're about to learn all about fear. Boom! You built such a beautiful life, filled with love and family. I never got that chance. You stole that from me. My future. My family. And now, I'm gonna break yours. Piece by piece. And that is part of the absolute brand spanking new trailer for Fast X, or you know, the, the latest Fast and Furious movie, starring Vin Diesel, Charlize Theron, Jason Momoa, and Rita Moreno, with Jason Momoa playing the bad guy. So the trailer is actually, it's a three and a half minute long trailer, which is, that's a lot. Get ready for people accusing the trailer of being loaded with spoilers and ruining the movie because it shows so much. Uh, anyway, the movie itself comes out on May 19th. And with anything else involving trailers, the link is in the show notes. We've all seen movies where digitally they will take someone's, maybe they'll make someone look younger or they will take someone else's face and put it on an actor's face. You know, for example, they did the de-aging stuff in Ant-Man. To make Michael Douglas look younger. They've done complete facial replacements like they did with, uh, well, not necessarily convincing effects in Rogue One. I mean, let's face it, Rogue One, Tarkin was not convincing. There was something about him and the way they, they did the, uh, the face for Peter Cushing, it, it didn't work for me. And it absolutely did not work for Princess Leia at the end of it. That looked horrible. Go ahead and at me on that. I will stand by those. I mean, de-aging Michael Douglas actually looked pretty good, but they're going to be de-aging Harrison Ford for the upcoming Indiana Jones movie. And according to him, that's not just necessarily CGI. That's actually his face. So he was on the Colbert Report lately, and I'll let him explain it. Okay. This is you as the young Indiana in the, in the age regression stuff right here. It's so, did that freak you out? Was that weird for you to see? That is my actual uh, face at that, <laughs> no, at that age. They, they have this uh, artificial intelligence uh, uh, program yep. that can go through every foot of film that uh, Lucasfilm 
owns because they have, I did a bunch yeah. of movies for them and they have all of this uh, footage, including uh, uh, a film that wasn't printed, you know, stuff. So they can mine it for uh, where the light is coming from, from the expression. I don't know how they do it, but that's my actual face. And then I, then I put little dots on my face and I say the words and they make my, it's fantastic. Wow. Work. Does it freak you out to see this? Or is like, or in your mind, this is what you look like all the time? That's what I see when I look in the mirror. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I still see brown hair. Yeah. 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 We're getting there. Yeah. We're getting there. So the dots that he was referring to, you've probably seen behind the scenes things, especially you've been listening to this podcast and, and watching some of the behind the scenes things that I've, I've uh, shared over the years. They will actually put dots on their faces. And they will use that to pinpoint certain areas, and they will actually map the equivalent sections of the face with whatever CGI is going to be placed on top of it. That's what helps to make CGI so realistic looking. So, I mean, this is one of those things that I thought was really inventive. They do have hours and hours and hours, ridiculous, probably thousands of hours of footage of Harrison Ford in the various movies. Because, you know, keep in mind, all the Indiana Jones movies are now owned by Disney. So, yeah, I mean, just go back to negatives and scenes that were never actually put into movies and so forth, mine it, throw that all into an AI, and then map it on his actual face as he's performing the lines. And the reason why he's being de-aged for the movie is that the opening scene takes place in 1944, but the rest of the movie is supposed to take place in the late 60s, early 70s. So, yeah, I thought that was a cool piece of behind-the-scenes thing there. That it's, it's not just a CGI version of his face. It's actually going to be his face in those DH scenes. So we get to see it, and God, I hope it's better than Crystal. Well, George Lucas isn't involved in this one, from what I understand. So it should be good. And uh, The Dial of Destiny comes out on June 30th of this year. I mentioned earlier about uh, James Gunn and Peter Safran's plans for the new Gods and Monsters uh, chapter one of the DC Universe. I didn't go into many details of it, uh, but I've got it here. So some of the big movies that they have planned for it uh, are Superman Legacy, which is, according to this, is going to be July 11th, 2025. And Superman Legacy says it is not an origin story, which good. I think we all pretty much know that by now. Uh, but it focuses on Superman's balancing his Kryptonian heritage with his human upbringing. So they did say that it was going to be requiring a younger actor. And they don't really go anywhere on plot, but they do say that he is kindness in a world that thinks of kindness as old-fashioned. Ah, so it's going to be modern day, huh? No, I'm sorry. Modern day kindness is a weakness. You're not supposed to show kindness. That's right. So they previously announced that a new actor will be cast for the role of Superman, but that role has not yet been cast. They also have a new Batman movie planned, which is called The Brave and the Bold, which is going to be Batman's entry into the DC Universe. No director, no writers, nothing. But they say that Brave and the Bold will tell the story of Bruce Wayne and the Spitfire renegade son he didn't know he had, Damian Wayne, who takes on the alias of Robin. So the movies that they currently have listed for 2025 to 2027 are Superman Legacy, Swamp Thing, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow. So, hey, a Supergirl movie, which, God, I hope it's better than the last one. I mean, if you if you didn't know that there actually was a Supergirl movie, there's there's a good reason for that. <laughs> it was it was released in 1984, starred Helen Slater, and she was fine. The movie itself was just not a good movie. But anyway, so there's a new Supergirl movie in the works, and of course, The Brave and the Bold, and then a movie called The Authority. And if you've never heard of The Authority, that's not surprising. They're mostly relegated to the comics right now, and that's probably going to be a rough and tumble movie because, from what I can tell. Uh, according to this one website that I found, uh, the Authority do have humanity's best interests in heart. They generally want to save the day. They just don't care who gets hurt along the way. Now, this, you, know, you might be wondering about things like Matt Reeves' Batman. Uh, there is a sequel to that. It's going to be coming out October 3rd, 2025. And as it stands right now, Matt Reeves' Batman is going to be separate, not necessarily included in the DCEU. And frankly, they'd probably be, assuming that the next movie is just as good as the first one, they'd probably be really stupid to try to integrate this. Hopefully, they'll just keep it on its own. Uh, same thing with the Joker, if there's another one beyond the next Joker movie. But we'll just have to wait and see. Now, also regarding this whole DC Universe changeover, Peter Safran has made it clear that 
he and James Gunn are still open to working with the superheroes that we know now or the actors in their current roles. So Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, Jason Momoa as, as uh, Aquaman, and so forth. They made it very clear they did not fire Henry Cavill as Superman. It's just that the movie that they're coming up with next doesn't require him. They want someone younger. But they made it clear they did not fire him. So regarding the more recent actors, he said, There's no reasons why all the people you mentioned couldn't be part of the DCU. We just haven't decided what the story is that we want to tell that incorporates them. But they did say, however, that from this point forward, whatever character an actor plays on any of the DC TV series, they will play that role on the big screen as well. So they're definitely going for continuity and consistency. Uh, We'll just have to see how it all comes together. I'm not going to go too much about all of this because the whole situation is turning into a big fuster cluck. But Alec Baldwin has been officially charged with involuntary manslaughter in the fatal shooting of Russ cinematographer Helena Hutchins. Charges were formally filed against him and armorer Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, who both faced two counts of involuntary manslaughter after the Santa Fe District Attorney announced criminal charges. Notably, prosecutors are charging Baldwin as both an actor and a producer, which I don't necessarily understand. They say that as an actor, Baldwin should have assumed the gun he was handling was loaded with live rounds and known that the first rule of gun safety is never to point it at someone you don't intend on shooting. Okay, um, I'm not a lawyer, but that is the role of the armorer. If I was an actor and I was told straight up the gun has no live rounds in it and it was the job of the person who gave me the guns to make sure that there were no live rounds in it, I would assume that there are no live rounds in it. So I'm not sure how much standing they have on that one. But regardless, they went on saying this reckless deviation from known standards and practice and protocol directly caused the fatal shooting. Baldwin acted with willful disregard of the safety of others and in a manner which endangered other people. Again, that's the job of the armorer to make sure that everything is okay. You know, once an actor says, well, now, wait a minute, are you sure that this is the way you say it should be? Then it kind of, if I was the armorer, I would have been a little bit offended by that, frankly, because that's the armorer's job. Now, I mean, they go on for producer, his producer role saying that uh, he failed to mitigate or address multiple significant safety violations, that he hired inexperienced and unqualified, uh, well, that apparently Gutierrez-Reed was unqualified for the production failed to meet the demand of minimum safety standards, protocols, and requirements on set, and so forth. I mean, that that's separate. That's separate. And that's that could be very well legit. Uh, they won't be arrested. But obviously, I mean, there's, there's going to be a trial on this. Now, as for Gutierrez-Reed, they said that uh, she is failing. She failed to assure, failed to ensure safety protocols regarding the use of firearms uh, were being followed neglected to check the rounds she loaded into the guns and allowing live ammunition onto the set. Okay, that's valid. Uh, They also claim that she broke proper custody of the gun by giving it to assistant director David Halls instead of directly handing it to Baldwin after checking the rounds in front of him. Now, what does this mean for all of them? It says that if a jury finds either of them guilty, it will also determine under which definition of involuntary manslaughter they are guilty. Under New Mexico law, Involuntary manslaughter is a fourth-degree felony, punishable by up to 18 months in jail and a $5,000 fine. Uh, And this will include a misdemeanor charge of negligent use of a firearm. But if they try to go for more than simple negligence, charges can include a firearm enhancement, which carries an added penalty that makes the crime punishable by a mandatory five years in jail. And Baldwin could face up to six and a half years in prison, if it's found that he acted in reckless disregard of safety in the use of a deadly weapon. Again, I don't see that happening. That's the role of the armorer to make sure that the gun is unloaded, or in this case, loaded with blanks. That's their job. That's their role. And for him to get that, he would have had to have known that the gun was not loaded with blanks before he pulled the trigger. So who knows what's going to happen. But since that article came out, it's been going crazy with lawyers yelling at each other and making accusations against each other. This is from the lawyer side. So, whatever. I'm not going to cover any of that. You probably won't hear any more from me until it actually goes to trial, and even then I'm probably not going to cover it too much. So, anyway, there's the update on that one. And finally, 
you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, thank you for sticking around and dealing with my stupidity. But I like to save some of the goofier stuff until the end. And this one should not be a surprise to anyone. <laughs> I've talked a lot about the horror thriller Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey ever since Winnie the Pooh went into public domain. And once it's in public domain, you can do whatever the hell you want with it, as long as you don't copy what Disney has done. So someone decided, hey, it's in public domain. We're going to make a horror movie where Pooh and Piglet turn into ruthless murderers. It has definitely gained a cult status. And now the same filmmaker, Reese Frake Waterfield, who did Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, is now going to be making a horror movie based on Bambi. So the, fil <laughs> the film is reportedly moving forward under the working title Bambi The Reckoning. And not only that, <laughs> he's going full hog on this one. He recently announced that he is developing a dark take on Peter Pan called Peter Pan Neverland Nightmare. <laughs> so regarding Bambi, according to this, the film will be an incredibly dark retelling of the story we all know and love. Finding inspiration from the design used in Netflix, The Ritual, Bambi will be a vicious killing machine that lurks in the wilderness. Prepare for Bambi on rabies. So Bambi has actually been in the public domain in, uh, since 2016. But obviously, the, the cult status and surprising popularity of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey has made him decide, ah, let's see what else we can go for. So again, they're not allowed to use any elements from the Disney cartoon. So it's impossible to know what they're going to do. But yeah, so so get ready for these guys to be doing a lot of blood-filled movies and, and childhood-ruining movies on a lot of what people consider to be Disney classics. And wow, that seems to be it. Uh, less than an hour for this podcast, which is unusual. Maybe I actually, I don't know, stack of stuff isn't that bad? Maybe that's it. I don't know. <laughs> Not a lot going on since the last podcast. Anyway, that's it. I'm done. Show number 301 is finished, and as always, thank you for being here. Believe me, I I really wish that I could do this podcast more often. My my schedule is so ridiculously stupid. I was chatting with a friend of mine on, on Twitch, and she said straight up that she's amazed that I have time to do anything between working 60 hours a week between two jobs, plus streaming, plus prop making, plus everything else. It's, yeah, it's a, it's. Whatever. <laughs> I do it to myself, though. Oh, well, you know, I've said many times before, and I mean it, I don't do this podcast for money. I, I make nothing. I pay money to do this podcast when it comes to web hosting and all that stuff. I do it because I enjoy it. Same thing with streaming on Twitch. I do it because I enjoy it, not not to try to make money from it. You know, and, and movie podcasts? Oh, my God, is that a crowded space? So I'm just grateful for the viewers. The viewers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just grateful for the listeners that I have. It's a small little community, but um, that's okay. So anyway, I'm out of here until next time. If you're going to watch the bowl game, then have a good time. Or in this case, if you've already watched the bowl game, I hope you had a good time. And otherwise, take care of yourself, take care of each other, and toodles! I can pray and trick with a double tongue, but the only fool here is me. I choose the way to go, but the road won't set me free Cause I wish you'd see me, baby Save me, I'm going crazy Try to keep us real Keep us alive This day we'll die tonight and there ain't no exception We shouldn't wait for nothing to wait for Love me in this fable, babe, my heart is in your hand our time is waiting right outside your door And maybe tomorrow Is a better day Yeah, maybe tomorrow Is a better day this podcast is copyright 2023 and is released under the Creative Commons license. Some rights are reserved. The widescreen podcast is a proud member of the Blueberry Network, even though I haven't checked my stats in years. That's blueberrynoease.com.
Theme music is by Poets of the Fall and is used with permission. Please visit their website at poetsofthefall.com. This has been a widescreen.org production.